Hello, and welcome to the To The Stars podcast. This is John Gibbon, your host. We're here today at the Salt Lake City Fanex with a very, very good friend and an amazing author with 154? 165, but, uh, but that's since the last time we've talked, I'm sure. 165 published novels, Mr. Kevin J. Anderson. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks for having me in the, the background noise of this really busy, bustling uh, Salt Palace in Salt Lake City. And for a science fiction nerd like me who grew up as feeling alone and the only person who read science fiction, it just warms my heart to be seeing 100,000 people crowding the aisles. And I did a panel on the, on the fiction of Dune today and it was a packed room standing room only and it, there's just so many people here so many aspects of science fiction which um, I, I guess the thing that I take heart from is that now the nerds have taken over the earth and that we everybody reads science fiction and this is just so mainstream it is not yeah, like amazing, you have to yeah. hide under your bed and read a read a With science a fiction book yes. so that so we've we've hit the future the future where science fiction <laughs> is respected Awesome, yes, and uh, you've definitely been a major uh, source of, of making that happen over the years. So this podcast goes into the, um, the whole aspect of science fiction as the herald of possibility. It's something that um, I know that Elwin Hubbard said in the front of Battlefield Earth when he gave the history of, of science fiction from mm -hmm. his perspective from the Golden Age. So we're just addressing it from the angle of um, yourself. I first met you just after you phased over from being a, a scientist to... Uh, science fiction author, so, but there's an earlier beginning to that. Can you talk about that? Well, and, and here's what was interesting, that, that I grew up reading science fiction, and I love science fiction, uh -huh. and I'm watching Star Trek, and that got me curious into, well, what, what is a nebula, and what is a black hole, and what is a quasar, and, and so I'm reading science fiction, and when I was in high school, I subscribed to Astronomy Magazine so I could learn about what all the, what all the real stuff was. Right. And then I ended up... Uh, I majored in physics and astronomy when I was in college, primarily because I wanted to understand the science of how science fiction worked. Right. So that was my, I didn't want to be a scientist, I just wanted to know how to write science fiction stories and get all the, all the details right. And then I got a job as a tech writer for a, a really large research laboratory because I had a science background, but I also knew how to write because I had published right. so much fiction. But one of the things that I, I find really fascinating is kind of a, a turnabout on your premise here that, that science fiction predicts the future or right, predicts yeah. some things. But I, I actually find a bunch of in instances where science fiction causes the future in that a science fiction writer will make up some crazy idea and write a story about it and a scientist or an engineer will read the story and go, oh, I can do that. And they actually invent the thing that they read in a science fiction story. That I mean, just obvious that almost any of your listeners going to understand. Uh, like the the communicators in Star Trek, they're like they became the flip phones that everybody used. Right. And uh, right now, the the tricorders in Star Trek, where they could like scan you for medical right. stuff. Um, every, we've got that now. Somebody saw it on Star Trek, and they thought that would be really useful. It can it can work like that. Um, uh, the iPads, those were first on Star Trek The Next Generation, where they would hand Cam Captain Picard a pad and he would like use a stylus and sign it and that was it. I mean, that's not to say that's the only inspiration yeah. for it, but even way back uh, when the, I forget his name, but the guy who invented the first nuclear submarine named it the Nautilus because he was inspired by Jules Verne. Exactly. And a lot of these things are not science fiction predicts this big change in society, it's somebody go. Somebody is inspired by reading this fiction and gets like really excited about, oh, 
well, that would be very useful. Let's go ahead and do that. Um, so far, nobody's invented a transporter, and I'm not sure I'd step in it <laughs> quite until it's been tested. At least especially based upon the fly. Yes. <laughs> well, that that's where the tra that was the first transporter accident movie, but yes. So um, the whole thing with, like you said, you see it here. So the value of science fiction, and just as we move forward from from here on out, now there's a lot of of um, future still to be um, explored, mm -hmm. but the golden age, the golden age of science fiction, and um, that was. What, the generation, two generations before yeah, you? Well, I mean, that was really like the 40s to late 50s or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I was born in 62. So I, uh, when I grew up, it was just starting to be what science fiction called the new wave, which wasn't really stuff I liked very much because I'm more of an action adventure. I want a plot and I want yeah. um, monsters and invasions and things. And, and um but I read all of the A.E. Van Vogt's and Robert Heinlein's and, and Frank Herbert's and Arthur C. Clarke's and, and, and I read a bunch of the, the L. Ron Hubbard, the Battlefield Earth and, right. and Fear and Final Black, well Fear wasn't science fiction, but Final Blackout. Um, and these were just really, really great stories. But there was a, another aspect to science fiction, not just predicting the future, but maybe warning us or preparing us for the future, and Final Blackout just made me think about it. Um, there was this whole wave of science fiction books in the early 60s about nuclear holocausts and, right. and what would happen with the, on the beach and Earth abides and, and so many of these where um, most of the human race has been wiped out through a nuclear war because we were all terrified of a nuclear war. Yeah. And it could well be that it science fiction scared enough people to go, this is really a threat we better not play around with. I mean, nuclear bombs aren't little toys to throw around. Um, and it really hammered home how serious the consequences could be. There's also a lot of science fiction warning of like ecological catastrophes and disasters. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I'll bet you that we're going to start seeing, we already have, yeah. start seeing a lot more about um, uh, climate change and the, the devastating effects of that. And, uh, John John Barnes wrote one uh, maybe 15, 20 years ago called Mother of Storms about the the climate getting to this tipping point where you have gigantic super hurricanes that are just it's all hurricane seasons almost all year long and it's constantly going and and now I guess I'm wishing more people had read that book yeah, back then. Yeah. Um, and so science fiction is not just predicting cool things, but it may also be warning of I mean 1984. Yeah, warned us about uh, fake news and and how the government <laughs> might want to uh, distort reality and deny the truth, just that yeah. people don't don't believe it. And if you say the truth, if you say the fake thing enough times, that you'll get a gullible portion of the populace to believe it. And we definitely you know, have there's that another happening. science fiction coming <laughs> true. Yes. Um, so now that I mean, one thing you definitely have going on where you have the people that are very much living for the moment, living for the day. There is no tomorrow, and so you've got some people going for, whether it's, whether it's a money motivation or just you know mm -hmm. convinced that there's nothing beyond what happens to me right now, so I'm not going to worry about the future, as compared to what science fiction can actually be as a prophecy for you know, generations to come to what can happen if we don't change or if we don't watch what's happening here. Do you have any perspective of that? 
Well, one of the things, and I've written in Frank Herbert's Dune Universe a lot, and I've read a lot of Frank Herbert, and Frank Herbert was a master at writing stories showing where people are planning in the super long term, like a thousand generations in the future and planning for the extreme future. And it's a little bit disheartening to see what you were just saying, that people don't think beyond next year or next next month. And uh, if it's not in my lifespan, why should I care about it? And right. there are real consequences. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot of younger people now, especially like the the, the, the green activist ones or the, the Save the Earth uh, movement, that they are thinking about the long-term future of the planet rather than um, short-term either economic gains or whatever. And the, the irony is the people who are thinking shorter and shorter term human lifespans are getting longer and longer. And uh, there's a lot of serious work right now, Ray Kurzweil is, is one of them, a genius who's working on it, about um, effective immortality, where you can like store your consciousness into a, like a computer AI somehow. And wouldn't it be ironic that, that the rich people who made money by living for today and destroying the future live for a long time, but they've wrecked the world so that there's not much to be there. That would be so there's very a story. Ironic. Yeah, there's a definite I, I, ironic. I'm not saying that I want to actually see that happen, but yes. Yeah. So, um, with respect to the future of science fiction, how do you see it, it moving forward at this point as as a genre? Because there seems to be an, an amalgam happening between science fiction and fantasy, and whereas in the 30s and 40s there seemed to be more of a, a distinction between the two. Now, I know speak with Brandon Sanderson. He considers that science fiction is an aspect of fantasy from his from his point uh -huh. of view. Well, I mean, as, as a writer, what I think about is I want to write a good story. Sure. And if it's in a science fiction setting or a fantasy setting or a modern day thriller setting, I mean, to me, I'm working on the great story and I like reading all of those kinds of books. Uh, but what I see with science fiction is similar to what happens with, with music. Now, when I, was, when I was in high school, we all listened to the same songs. It was yeah. all the same radio station, the American Top 40. Everybody knew every hit, even though it was kind of a diverse kind of... Thank you, uh, K K Casey Kasem. Casey Kasem, all of that stuff. Yes. But now, like with Amazon, they will, they will break down into so many micro-genres that, that you can do... Chinese death metal music, if you want, or or I happen to like Northern European goth chick metal music, and and <laughs> it's it. I think with science fiction that it is it is breaking up in a good way, or it's almost like it's the the Mississippi River is one big river, but then when it gets down to the Delta, it breaks up into like a million different tributaries, and now we've got so many different flavors of, of science fiction. Yeah. We can have werewolf science fiction, or we can have uh, military science fiction, or military science fiction with women, and, and it's not like, oh, there's a book for that. There's a genre, genre. for that, and because of the distribution system with, with books and publishing and Amazon, you don't have to just put it into a science fiction or fantasy category. You can put 15 keywords and you can do vampires, steampunk, mystery, romances with unicorns and you will probably find something. Uh, so <laughs> as a reader, you can really get anything that you want. So that's where I see the genre going yeah. is to um, diversifying to the point where they're, um, I mean, it, it used to be publishers and bookstores didn't like crossover fiction because they didn't know which part to put it on the shelf. Well, now it doesn't matter because your shelf is infinite on, a, on an e-book store. 
and you can put whatever kind of thing you want, That's right. and you can put the right keywords down, and you will find books and authors for that. Speaking of, uh, you just put on your e-bookshelf, so you just came out with a book which, when I came up to, uh, to talk to you, I downloaded immediately. So tell me about that, because that's your most recent book, I think. Okay, brand new book that just came out a week ago. It's called Kill Zone. It's with my co-author, Doug Beeson, um, who's also Writers of the Future judge. I've yep. known him for 30 years, or, or probably more than that. Um, this one is unusual for, for me in that it's not really science fiction or fantasy at all. It's just a straight, high-tech thriller, like a Tom Clancy thing, about, um, uh, it's like the Poseidon adventure, a bunch of people who are trapped in an, in, deep inside a mountain uh, nuclear waste storage facility, which has all kinds of security and, and uh, safety measures, which when they contradict each other and the things go wrong and people are trying to escape from the mountain where there's defensive systems going on, there's radioactive waste around, the people who do things they're not supposed to do, and it's, it's a very pulse pounding, very fast paced, um, and because I met Doug when I was working at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory and the Department of Energy, and Doug uh, was a retired colonel from the U.S. Air, Air Force. Force. He also worked on the President's Science Council. Uh, he was the chief scientist for U.S. Air Force Space Command. So he's got all of this inside government, he's military, big science. He's the director of national security for um, um, Los Alamos. Los Alamos. Uh, so he's got a lot of credentials, and I've got some background in the same stuff, so we just... Uh, you know how Tom Clancy books is like, boy, he got every every nut and bolt on that submarine. He's got all the details yeah. right. So in Kill Zone, we really tried to get all of the details we possibly could that that other people don't know because we have inside information. So it's not science fiction, but it's so it's a thriller. It's a it's a it's military a thr high tech thriller, nuclear waste storage facility. So it's. It's big science, but yeah. there's there's no aliens inside the mountain or anything like that. I'm just curious, in science fiction, because one thing that as a concept I had for science fiction was that, you know, you if you talk about a um, this little metal you put together and you, you twiddle it and it stirs eggs, mm -hmm. um, and it's never been done before, you know, and later becomes an egg beater. At the time it was first being done twiddling, at that, that point it was science fiction until it actually became reality. It would be that until, you know, so I'm just, because right. I know Tom Clancy, you mentioned Tom Clancy, a lot of the stuff that he did, maybe it was under the top secret heading that, that existed, but for me as the regular reader, that was right. more science fiction. So I'm just curious, is that the same type of thing, or is it stuff that actually is? Well, in, in Killzone, it really is a, it's based on a, on a real problem. And yeah. the real problem is that we do have, uh, if I remember the number right, something like 97 nuclear power plants in the United States. And all these nuclear power plants are generating lots of power, but because of the nature of, of the science, they generate nuclear waste. Like all the spent fuel rods, when they're used up, they're still radioactive, but they don't generate power anymore. So they have to remove the fuel rods and they have to store them somewhere. Well, the problem is we don't have any place where they're allowed to be stored for long term. So as we are waiting for the politicians to come up with a place to store them, all this nuclear waste is kind of stored in temporary holding areas well, and Godzilla temporary was stored just outside of Las Godzilla, Vegas. Well, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so that is kind of the, the, the real problem we're trying to point out with this, that guys, you need to do something about storing. There was a huge thing called Yucca Mountain yeah. out in the Nevada desert, this gigantic facility deep inside a mountain that it was about ready to go and you could store all of our nuclear waste there for, for umpty-ump years. Well, because they couldn't prove that nothing 
at all would leak over the time span of something like 10,000 years, they shut it down and nothing's stored there. But the problem is there's no place to put it. So where, it, where it's being held right now is in all sorts of, I won't say unsafe facilities, but it's not the permanent ideal facility and it's kind of an accident waiting to happen because yeah. this has been over a half a century of nuclear waste just sitting there without any place to put it. Um, and every politician wants to just kick the can down the road for the next election cycle. We were talking earlier about long-term planning. Well, this yeah. is going to take long-term planning and we're not good at long-term planning. And now we're, we're going to get bit in the wrong place from that because we've got a lot of, we got a problem that needs to be dealt with that's getting worse every year. Yeah. So somebody's going to have to do it. So our, our book is trying to be a thriller. I mean, it's a, a fact-based, yeah. science-based thriller, but we also kind of want people to realize maybe we should pay attention to this problem a little bit. Well, that's good. I mean, that's definitely an important message. So um, thank you very much. This is our, our, this is our first podcast on To The Stars, and I'm very happy to have Kevin Anderson being our first guest on this. Thank you. And thank you for listening. In his introduction to Battlefield Earth, Erwin Hubbard wrote that science fiction, particularly in this golden age, had a mission, beating the drum to get man to the stars. The To The Stars podcast has been created to recognize and honor those who have dedicated themselves to this objective. Subscribe to the To The Stars podcast wherever you find your podcasts.